This message first aired on the radio on November 21st, 2003. We're going through the Book of Romans, and we're if you look at our website, you can tell that we just completed Romans 4.17. So we're in Romans 4.18 to the end of the chapter today. Because it's a small section, it gives us a little time to handle some of these other things. Yesterday, those of you who are listening may remember that right at the end of the broadcast, I told you that I thought I had a grandson coming at any moment. And in fact, we timed it out pretty carefully. And while I was saying that, my grandson was coming out crying, and he's Thomas David. And I don't know if that means he doubts first and then believes, or he believes first and then doubts, but his name's Thomas. And, of course, immediately I've considered that I'm going to call him Tommy Boy. But that's my 17th grandchild to be born, and I have one within days, no doubt, coming again. And as we suspected all along, he was a little boy, is a little boy, and that's great to have another little boy in the family. So we've been blessed by God, and I get the privilege and pleasure to announce that on the radio and count that for your cigar. Now we look here at Romans 4.18, and just as in all important matters concerning the new birth and the principle upon which we are saved, which is by grace through faith, we always need to consider the life of Abraham and the person of Abraham. And so we're in the middle of that. In fact, Romans 4 opened up, chapter 4 opened up the discussion, what shall we say that Abraham has found concerning faith? What has he found? Our father according to the flesh, that is the Jews' father according to the flesh, but what we might say, the father of all the faithful in the, in the broadest scope. After all, he's the father of many nations, but he's the father of all the faithful. You may recall, those of you who followed the dispensation of promise, that Abraham was given two seeds, a heavenly seed and an earthly seed. And the first time he was called, he was told to look into the heavens and see the stars, see if he could count them, so shall thy seed be. And then he was told to look at the sands of the seashore and see if he could count them, so shall his seed be. And we take from that, and other scriptures, of course, that Abraham has a heavenly seed and an earthly seed. But backing away from that a little bit, we want to drill down on that time in in Genesis chapter 15, when it was said about Abraham that he believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, or it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Romans 4, verse 3, what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. And Romans 4, 8, what did David discover? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So we see Abraham and David here, and in Romans 4, and no surprise. After all, when we read the book of Matthew, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David, Those are the two outstanding covenants of God with Israel, the Abrahamic covenant confirmed through Isaac, then through Israel, Jacob, who is Israel, and the Davidic covenant, which is the covenant that God made with David, whereby he said that he would not lack someone to sit on his throne forever and ever, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of David, who will sit on that throne forever and ever. Well, in Romans 4 here now, we're called to drill down and look into and inspect the faith that Abraham had. And we're going to inspect that faith now for just a couple of minutes. So let's read 
Romans 4, 18 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 25, not that many verses, just these eight verses. This is now Abraham, who, against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, 99, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now there we see the scripture, talking about the scripture, telling us that counted for righteousness, imputed for righteousness, this is the same thing. In fact, it's the same language, two different English words used by the translators, so that we would know that, I assume. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, and was raised again for our justifying. Now, this is really a marvelous essence of the principle of faith. And it is a marvelous sum summation, as there are many in the book of Romans, of why it is that we can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And we're going to inspect that in just a minute after this brief message. Well, we're looking here at Abraham, and we've read the scripture out of Romans 4 about him, and we really need to look back at Genesis 15 just a bit and find out what it is that took place. But we don't find out from Genesis 15 what took place nearly as much as we do, for example, from the book of Romans and elsewhere in Scripture, what really happened with Abraham. I mean, we're going to look here at Genesis 15, and we're going to look at Genesis 17 both. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, and he said, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And this steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and, lo, one born in my house is my, in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, that is, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness, or he imputed it to him for righteousness. Then later, now later, when Abram was 90 years old, verse chapter 17, 99 years old, excuse me, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, thou shalt be a father of many nations. And so here we find those two scriptures referred to here in the book of Romans, both about the life of Abraham. But here in verse 18, we, we see that Abraham, in the commentary, and this is the Holy Spirit's commentary on the life of Abraham. It's not, it's the Apostle Paul's, but remember the Apostle Paul is the pen that God uses to write the Scripture. 
And it says, Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Now that is, Abraham was a guy who was without hope. That's what this really means. Against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. In other words, he had no reason to hope except the word of the Lord. He had no reason to hope except the word of the Lord. He's an old man. He was 99 years old when God came to him and said, you're going to have, you and Sarah are going to have a child. He was 99 years old. I mean, he believed God was going to perform for him many years earlier. Even then, he was an old man. But now he's 99, and God had not yet performed, and all that there was in place of the performance of God about his seed was God's promise. And yet Abraham held on to that promise. God was calling that thing that wasn't, Isaac, the son of Abraham, as if he was. And Abraham named Abram before he became the father of many nations, renamed Abraham. And Abraham, all he had to hold on to, all there was, was faith in the word of God. That was it. There was nothing else for him to do about it. And so that's the position where Abraham was placed in the position where all he could do is believe on the news that God gave him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really, you say the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was about his seed, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So all he could do was believe in the promise of God. Everything else concerning this matter and all other things concerning this matter, he was utterly and completely helpless. He was utterly and completely helpless and incapable of having a child, 99 years old. Neither, so the Bible says in verse 19 here, Romans 4:19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. So he couldn't think about that. That made him hopeless. That's why against hope, he believed in hope. What was it against hope? Well, he was against hope because he was in a hopeless condition. He was in a hopeless condition. He was 99 years old, unable to have a child. Neither did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider that one either. He couldn't because that was also hopeless. There was no capacity with Sarah to bear a child if there were capacity for Abraham to beget a child. So he couldn't think about that. Now, he'd already gone through the negative experience in Genesis 16 of of trying. He, At the time that the promise came to him, he was young enough to where he wasn't incapable of begetting. But by the time now God comes to him in Genesis 17, he's 99, and Ishmael's already born a child when he was 86, and Ishmael was born. Now he's come to be 99. So he's gone from 75 to 86 to 99, and now he's beyond his capability, and Sarah is certainly well beyond her capability of bearing children, being 90. And so she's in a helpless state. He's in a helpless state. And sinner, so are you. They're all that remains, therefore, all that remained for Abraham was the faith principle in the Word of God. And so in that sense, in the sense of being helpless concerning the promise, and in the sense of the sinner being helpless concerning the salvation and redemption from and being purchased back by God and being rescued from his own sins, we stand equally unable to help ourselves. And all we have is the Word of God there to believe.
Now Abraham showed himself to be Abraham, to be the father of the faithful, or the father of many nations. He showed himself to be what we now know him to be, because it tells us in verse 20, he staggered not, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So he did not refuse the promise of God. That's what this word stagger not. He did not criticize. He did not harp against the promise of God. That's what it means. He did not stagger not. Well, that's one way to say it. But he did not dispute or disdain the promise of God that was given to him through unbelief. So in other words, through unbelief, he did not become one who naysayed God's promise, as so many do. But instead, it says he was strong in faith. He was strong in faith. You say, well, how did he become strong in faith? God does that. He endured in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. He stuck with faith. He, he instead of criticizing, he believed, and thereby gave glory to God. It says, giving glory to God, verse 20. So what was the difference between Abraham and somebody else? Well, the difference between Abraham and the anti-Abraham is that Abraham believed God. And being fully persuaded, that's what the scripture says, verse, verse 21, being fully persuaded, that is being, being filled with the knowledge that what he was hearing was true, being filled with the knowledge that, that God's word was true, that what God promised he was also able to perform. That is to say, giving proper regard and weight to God, which is giving glory to God. Realizing that God, if God told him this is the way it is, then the integrity of God was behind it, and that was trustworthy. Therefore, it was imputed to him, that is, that faith was imputed to him for righteousness. And now here, Romans chapter 4, in inspecting the, the, the thoughts of Abraham, in giving us the inspired account of the considerations of Abraham, demonstrate to us why it is that boasting is excluded and how it is that the principle of faith alone, in Christ alone, gives glory to God. Because Abraham had to fully, in believing God, Abraham had to fully acknowledge that he was helpless and that God had the integrity to perform exactly what he said. And he gave, in so believing, he gives to God his proper weight. Do you want to give glory to God? Believe him. Believe him. You want to give glory to God? Just believe him. What works must might we do that we might work the work of God? The apostles asked the Lord Jesus, and he said, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, we always please God. The principle is so important that it is the only way to be saved. And being saved, my Christian friend, the faith principle is the only way not only to please God, it is the only way to walk with God. In the way you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians 2, 6, so walk ye in him. All that does not proceed from faith is sin. So you're going to walk by faith, or you're going to walk in sin, and it is that clear-cut. Now, life is not always clear-cut to you. What is faith and what is not faith? 
in the way that you walk. But what is clear is the principle of Scripture and the articulation of Scripture that only faith pleases God. Now, let me just say that faith is always not sight. Faith is always not sight. And God has made a life of faith for us by eliminating so many things of sight. In fact, it's quite remarkable when you think about all the account of Scripture, all the things that we might see, how it is that God has made sure that all of those things cannot be seen. The Lord Jesus Christ himself cannot be seen with the eyes of man today because he's at the throne of God where men can't look. It is not that he is, as a man, invisible. He's not. He's visible as a man if he were to present himself to the sight of men. But he has intentionally taken himself away out of sight. Though we knew Christ according to the flesh, the Apostle Paul wrote, once, now we don't know him that way anymore. That was written to those who said, well, I'm of Jesus, I sat with him at table, I uh, saw him in his resurrection. Well, you don't see him anymore. He said to Thomas, you've seen and you believe, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. So God has seen to it that sight has been taken away from us, not only the Lord Jesus Christ. He even took the temple away so he couldn't look at it. Although I think God made sure the temple was destroyed because so many Christians went back into law, especially the Jewish Christians early on, and of course they were turning the temple into Nehushtan, into a piece of brass like like Nehemiah had to melt down when the children of Israel turned it into an idol, that he just eliminated it. He's eliminated all manner of sight. That's why I do not agree with those who tell us to go examine the geological layers to see, you know, to find God or whatever. I'm not going to go on some hunt for the the Ark of the Covenant or Noah's Ark or anything like that because sight is not faith. And as far as God's presence, as far as God just being God, I don't need to look at a fossil layer. Everything that's created makes that self-evident as the book of Romans tells us. So you see here now that Abraham pleased God and his faith, how it is that the faith principle is the way that Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And you can also see how it is that only faith gives glory to God. Well, you think about that for a minute. We'll be back with you in just about 90 seconds. Abraham was certainly washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came to his own, and his own received him not, he had some words for them that really questioned their faith, their standing. And he brought to them a certain clear understanding about himself and who he was and who they were. And I'm going to read it out of John chapter 8. He said to them, John 8, verse 18, I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. Therefore they said unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You don't know me, nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spoke Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No man laid hands on him, because his time had not yet come. Then Jesus said again unto them, I go my way, you will seek me, you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Now he tells them they're going to die in their sins. Why are they going to die in their sins? And they are going to die in their sins. They're going to die in their sins because they don't believe in him. And he's going to go away, 
and they're going to die in their sins not believing in him. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he says, Where I go, you cannot come. Ignorantly they said that. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In other words, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the same I am that appeared to Moses in the bush, the burning bush that didn't get consumed, the same God Almighty who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, the same God Almighty who appeared in a cloud, the same God Almighty who gave the law to Moses, the same God Almighty who provided cloud by day and a fire by night, same God Almighty who provided the manna in the wilderness as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that I am that one, if you don't believe I am, you will die in your sins. Then they said unto him, Who are you? Jesus said unto them, The same that I said to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understand not that he spoke to them of the Father. Of course, they don't understand the Father because they don't receive him. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, now he's saying to these Jews, when you've crucified the Son of Man, that's what he means by lifted up, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And so now they knew who he was at that time when they crucified him. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now here's the part I want to get to. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now those are the ones that believed on him. He said, You'll know the truth. Now that's what you're confronted with when you're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evidently it's the truth. It is evident to all men when they hear it. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. Now you can tell me you don't think so, whatever it is, but I believe the Bible and let all men be liars. The Bible says you know it's true. And these knew it was true. Now these who didn't believe answered him. They said, We are Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to anyone. How sayest that you shall be made free? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. So in other words, he promises you freedom. His word is as good as it always was. This is where Abraham staggered not or did not become critical of the promise of God. And of course, this statement they made, we are not in bondage to any man where Abraham's children, of course, is ridiculous because they've been in bondage for quite some 500 years by that time. In fact, they were in bondage under the Romans at the time they spoke it. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that what I have seen with my father, you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered him and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now he says, If you were the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did. Well, what did Abraham do? That's the question. It's a good question. What did Abraham do? Well, what Abraham did, the Lord Jesus Christ came to Abraham in Genesis 18. He came to him with two angels. He came to him in his tent in Mamre. 
in the heat of the day, and Abraham received Christ. That's what he did. He received him gladly. He didn't reject him and crucify him. He received him gladly. You say, well, wait a minute. When did he do that? He did that in Mamre. You can read about it. Three came. One stayed with Abraham. Two went to rescue Lot. Now, these went ahead and said, they said to him, We not be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And, of course, now they insult the Lord, they reject the Lord, and they begin begin to do what this word staggered means. They begin to criticize and give reasons for their disbelief and their rejection of Jesus Christ. And, of course, that's what people do that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible teaches us, my friend, that you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because you love and prefer darkness. You love darkness. Darkness is the thing you want. You do not want light. Light is given to you. You reject it. You want darkness because darkness, you think the darkness covers your evil deeds, which you, which you want to persist in. Now, that's the difference. We know why people don't believe. We know that God gives faith to anyone who will believe. So how does that work? That works with God. That's with God. I don't get my mind around God. I don't get I don't understand all there is about God. In fact, I don't even try to. I just try to understand what God says and to do what pleases him. Do you want to know what pleases him? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now maybe you'd say, and of course the Bible answers this question because it's a good one. Maybe you'd say, well that was good for Abraham, but Abraham was a lot better guy than me. I mean honestly, when I read the Bible, I see his failures and everything. But I do look at the guy and I say, well, you know, he seems to be a better man than me in so many ways. So, okay, maybe Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness, but he's got an edge on me. He lived longer than me. You know, I think in the AP, UPI poll, he's ranked higher. I mean, he's always playing for the championship, and here I am, 8-3. and three. You know, Abraham's a better guy. Well, the Bible anticipates that you might be thinking that. I'm no Abraham. In fact, maybe some guy comes to you and says, I know Abraham, Abraham's a friend of mine, and you are no Abraham. Well, okay. Now, this was not written for his sake alone. Verse 23, Romans 4.23. Here's something to hang your unhappy thoughts on. Here's something to get excited about. Romans 4.23. Now, this was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him. In other words, the Scripture wasn't written that it was imputed unto him for righteousness, for Abraham's sake especially, it was written also for us, to whom it also shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now you say, wait a minute, believe on him who raised Jesus up, Jesus our Lord from the dead. Isn't that God the Father who declared the Son to be the Son of God with power? Yes, but you can't believe on God the Father except you receive his Son and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And have I been so long with you, Philip, and you have not known me? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Philip. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. The Lord Jesus Christ has fully explained and declared the Father. There is no way to know him except you know the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and of course the Lord Jesus Christ told us, I have power to lay my life down. I have power to raise it back up again. And then we see that God, the Father, raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, of course. He and the Father are one. Their hand is one. No one is able to snatch us from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is able to snatch us from the hand of the Father because their hand is one. 
So it is also written for you who believe you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's whoever was raised again for our justification. And now we see a couple of other things that the reason that he was delivered unto death was for our offenses. Now that supersedes and super superimposes itself on all other merely worldly reasons that we would think he was delivered to be crucified. Okay, he was delivered to be crucified because the Jews hated him. He was delivered to be crucified because Pilate was a weenie. He was delivered to be crucified because Judas betrayed him. He was delivered to be crucified because the Sanhedrin did all the wrong things at all the wrong time. Yeah, that's all true. They were illegal. It was wrong, all that. But he was delivered to be crucified by the overarching and overriding will of the Father, who determined that what would be done would exactly be done so that he would die for our offenses. And he was raised out from the dead so that we could be declared righteous. That's what the Scripture says. Now, friend, that is good news. That is beyond controversy in the Scriptures. This cannot be argued successfully against It is this book, it is this portion of this book that bore in and lifted the veil off the eyes of Martin Luther and that bore in and persuaded him that justification before God is by grace through faith alone, and that is the predominant thought and central thought of the way of salvation through all time in Christianity. Freely justified by faith we have peace with God. The grace of God comes to us freely. The gift of God comes to us so freely through faith in his name. Friends, nothing more clear, nothing more simple, nothing less hidden in Scripture than this essential truth. Even a fool cannot err in this way. In fact, it is so uncontroversial with respect to the Scriptures and so repetitive that you must clear that truth before you can really understand much of anything else. And with that, may God bless you in your endeavors. May you think upon him and have good fellowship with him and other Christians this weekend. And let me leave you while we close out our broadcast today.